Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is a podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Hiring great salespeople is a very important process that many sales managers really struggle to build. If you're feeling frustrated by your current hiring system, check out our ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Hiring for Sales Managers. You'll discover how to prepare a job description and posting, how to screen candidates, and more. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod220. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I'm speaking to the founder of the Standard Sales Company, a training, coaching, and consulting firm that helps organizations raise their sales standards. He's also the author of a book called Raise Your Standards, The Definitive Guide to Building Seven-Figure Sales. He is based in the beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, his name is Mark Evans. Thank you so much for being here. We are very glad to have you. Welcome to the show. Oh, Elizabeth, thanks so much for having me. You know, Milwaukee isn't a town that normally gets the beautiful moniker thrown around, but uh, I'm taking it. it. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Happy to be here. Super excited. All right. And at this time of year, it is covered in beautiful white snow. So um, that makes it even prettier in some ways, Um, but a little more difficult to get around. Yeah, absolutely. All All your warm weather state listeners right now are like, what are they possibly talking about? (laughs) It's that white stuff that's very, very cold Mm -hmm. and turns kind of brown and unpleasant as cars drive around in it. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, Mark, I just shared uh, some of the very, very tippy top highlights of your bio, but that's not necessarily who you are. So could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, maybe talk about where your journey began or the key steps uh, on the way to where you are today. Oh, I'd love to. Well, to start off, I'm a husband. I'm a father of two uh, little girls that are eight and five, and I'm a son uh, to two entrepreneurs as well. And I really come from a family of entrepreneurs. And that's, I guess, my segue into where did I come from? And it really really starts with my parents. They were entrepreneurs or uh, they recently retired. But when I was a young boy, they started a business in which we had to locate the entire family about four hours away from um, where the entire you know family nucleus and nuclear family really developed and started. And so my dad's the oldest of like 14 kids and they all lived oh, within. Wow. Yeah, a <laughs> lot of kids, right? That's a lot of kids. Um, and so we, you know, we had all this family and my parents, they took this big risk. They, you know, basically, mortgaged everything that we had and they moved myself and my three sisters four hours away from the world that we had known into a town they knew not a soul and bought a business that had one very old, very grumpy uh, employee that they inherited with it. Um, and, and they set to work for the next 28, 30 years or so of building not only a business but also building a community. And I grew up in a small town which they just became a focal point and a real pillar of that community. And so that's really where I got this appeal for sales because I got to see firsthand that sales and earning revenue and making profit, it didn't necessarily mean that we were fueling up the, you know, the private corporate jet. No, that meant that, like, you know, it meant vacations for my my sisters and I. It meant basketball shoes in the winter and tuition to my little parochial school. And so that's when I really started to fall in love with sales. And that kind of brings me to where I am today today where I get to help companies build sales and and hopefully have their own impact in their community. Absolutely. I love that story. And I see so often in entrepreneurs and in um, people who end up doing consulting where they're working with entrepreneurs, that they've seen that example in their families and they they either want to replicate it or they want to help other people replicate that success. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That must have been, I would imagine, quite challenging to be part of, you know, such a such a big move, but also um, also really, I would imagine, taught you some lessons. And I know you write about it in your book, and um, I really love that story in the first chapter um, where you where you share the details of that family story. Um, uh, thanks so much. I appreciate that. All right. Well, you are all about raising standards. Obviously, it's it's the, in the name of your business. It is also the title of your book. Um, and why does that theme of raising standards resonate so much with you? Yeah, well, I think that we all have standards that we're living by, right? Whether it's the habits we set in our day, but we've all set aside and we've all put up with a certain level of standards. And I think sales is no different, right? We all put up with a certain level of standards. And so I feel like my job as a sales consultant and working with sales teams and sales individuals, and I mean, really just working with people, right? I feel that it's my job to help show them what is possible and to really help them raise what that standard standard is. I think so often in life, whether it's in sales or sports or parenting or whatever, you know, fill in the blank there. I really think that where we're at today is a result of how big our standards are um, or how high our standards really are. And so I feel like it's my job. It's my mission to help people really raise what they want for themselves and to raise their own internal standards. So that's kind of how I came to the book title and the book thesis, if you will. I really love that because I think there, there's a couple of, of big concepts in there. First of all, it is important for everybody to understand that the way you're living your life right now, you are holding yourself to a standard, whether mm-hmm. you are recognizing it consciously or not. And sometimes what that might mean is that you're constantly feeling disappointed because you feel like I have a standard that I should live my life by and I'm not mm-hmm. meeting it. And that means that I'm a failure as a person or, or you know, you have some other negative interpretation. Mm-hmm. But what that also might mean is you don't recognize that you're settling for mm-hmm. less than what's possible for yourself. And I think that's the whole concept of, of raising your standards is you might be achieving at a certain level and not even recognize that if you were to raise your, your standards, raise your level of activity, raise the quality of the work that you're doing, you could achieve significantly more success. And, um, and you don't maybe realize it that you're settling for standards that that are lower than what's possible. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think we're the direct result of where our standards are, right? If you have a standard set of, hey, every morning I eat, you know, I wake up and I eat a bunch of junk food and I, uh, you know, do some unhealthy habits. Well, you're going to have an unhealthy lifestyle. And I think it's all about changing those standards. And um, I love people, to be honest with you. I love the uh, the triumph of the individual, right? And especially when it comes to sales, like there's nothing in my mind more difficult I know there are things that are more difficult, but in my mind, right, I think that there's few things that are more difficult than constantly coming in to a sales profession where every day there's people that don't want to talk to you. They treat you like dirt, right? They don't want to, uh, they want to put you off and put you in a box and they want to treat you like a second class citizen or whatever that may be. And, you know, that salesperson has to go back day in and day out and Mm -hmm. be persuasive and keep their nose to the grindstone and continue to work hard. And so I just love when people overcome that, right? Right? And they see the potential within themselves. And that's that's really kind of like my life's mission is to try to get people to see their own potential and raise their standards in their own life for, for their business and for themselves. Absolutely. I, you know, um, we do a similar thing uh, working with, with clients. And when you see somebody who has been achieving at a certain level or even sometimes not achieving at all, right? We had one mm-hmm. client that um, 
that had somebody on the team, and this was a wealth management firm. And so they didn't have extremely high expectations that everybody was bringing in a ton of business. It wasn't like a job where you have a distinct quota and and really, um, really high expectations, but there was still somebody on the team and she hadn't been able to bring in really any business at all. And they thought, you know, she's, she's demonstrating some really good client service abilities and she seems to really care and she's out there in the world and and people like her, but she wasn't successful. And to see when that switch flipped and she was able Mm. to close her first deal. And then she immediately just started closing more and more and more and more deals. Um, It was, there's nothing like seeing that, just that light bulb go off for somebody. And she ended up just achieving a consistent higher level as soon as she had that first that first win. And you could just tell that her expectations, her standards had changed. Oh, I love that. I love that. There's few stories that are better than that, right? That like, um, you know, kind of uh, underdog story, that triumph story. I just love that. I, I can't get enough of those. Yeah, it really it really keeps you going mm-hmm. when you get to when you get to be a part of it, whether you're just seeing it or you're you're closer to the situation. Yeah. So, how was it that you um, that you got to write this book about raising standards? What um, what really inspired you to put it together into a book? Well, uh, you know, I think I should start off with saying like I never should have written a book, or like I'm not the author type, right? <laughs> and for so many years, I honestly I, I really struggled in school as a kid. I would probably have what is doctors describe now like ADHD or you know hyperactivity and all those uh, all those things. And so I just really struggled in school. So it's funny to look back and to think about like my English teachers in high school and middle school, if they knew that I wrote a book, <laughs> like I think their minds would explode. Um, but really how it got started, I owe a lot of the credit to how it got started to my wife. She is an entrepreneur. Um, her and her father-in-law uh, have a business that they're really growing and scaling rapidly, which is really exciting. And a part of that is scaling her own sales team. And so she, uh, she called me, you know, probably three or four times and would have some sales scaling sales related questions. And so I would take the time. Um, I was working a day job at that time. I I was in a a corporate, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and had those corporate golden handcuffs, if you will. But, um, she (laughs) would call and say, Hey, what should I do in this situation? Or what should I do here? And I would, um, I would, I would talk, right. And I love talking. So that's an easy thing for me to do. Uh, And she would just take notes and take very, very detailed very good notes. Uh, and then a couple weeks later, she showed and kind of presented a document to me that was really the initial, like the kernel um, of thought behind the book. It was several pages in the notes she had taken. And she said, hey, you know, you really have the makings of a book here, right? You, you know, you've got this, you've got that, you've got this procedure, you've got this system, you've got this mindset. And that's really where the book started. And she said, hey, you should really, you should turn this into a book, right? And so I, I fought it, I resisted it, because honestly, I was scared. I was afraid of putting myself out there. Um, I'm afraid of, you know, uh, letting people see that, um, you know, I, I don't have uh, all the, um, let's say, like all of the stigma attached to it and stuff like that, or all the tenure that that normally authors have. But she said, hey, you got a really good start of something. How about you go and continue to make a book out of this? And so for a couple months, I pounded away. And um, lo and behold, uh, it was published uh, last November, November of 2019, which I'm, I'm really happy about. 
That is so exciting. And I love that story of how basically your wife kind of outlined your book for you and really, um, really got you started. I think everybody takes a different path to, um, to writing and the fact that she kind of got you over the line. Uh, I will just be a super corny cliche here, but she helped you raise your standards for yourself and showed you that you could do something you didn't think you could do because she created oh that vision gosh, for you. Oh my gosh, that's like, uh, that is a mind epiphany right now. I had never thought of it like that. Elizabeth, that you just like, that's incredible. Yeah, I never thought that she helped me raise my standards in that game because then there was so many times I wanted to quit and give up. But if it wouldn't been for her, the, the book never would have happened. So thank you. I will, uh, I will tell her that you said that. <laughs> All right, definitely do that. So um, we are beginning a new year. And I know that at this time, people are often looking to mm -hmm. add new salespeople. Um, a lot of times companies have maybe set growth targets for the year and they've realized that they've got to make some new hires as part of that. So I want to get a little bit more kind of tactical yeah. than we've been talking about maybe. What are some best practices that you've seen to help leaders recruit the best talent? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple things. And so let's first start with your current sales team, right? So many leaders, sales leaders, business leaders that I see, um, typically they have 25 to 30% of their sales force that they should probably be cutting away with, right? It's it's individuals that are underperforming. Mm -hmm. They're continuously underperforming, yet they're not doing anything about it. And commonly, when we dive into that situation, it's because they don't have a system and a process when it comes to talent attraction, recruitment, and then training and onboarding, right? And so taking someone from off the streets to becoming a productive salesperson. And so some of the real tactical elements mm -hmm. that I think just about any sales team or any business can start today for you know the low low price of free 90 free would be the following and there's really two main ones that i think are so <laughs> underutilized um that if they did they'd really have some results and so the first one is it's a simple one but let's start here right is leaving your job posting up right i would much rather have a stack of sales resumes and no position than no resumes and several positions open and so when i talk to companies and i say hey you know are you continuously recruiting for salespeople? Their common answer is, well, like we only recruit if we give notice, right? Or if someone quits or if we see an actual need. Um, I think that script should ultimately be flipped. And if you're a sales leader of a business leader, I think that there's a very important phrase that you should start knowing. And uh, Elizabeth, are you familiar with the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? Okay, you know, like, you know, the Alec Baldwin scene where he's like, always be closing, right? He, you know, first, first place prize is a Cadillac Eldorado, <laughs> yep. second is a set of steak knives, and third is you fired. <laughs> um, so right in that scene, his famous line is always be closing, right? A, B, C, always be closing. Well, I really think that today with sales, it's just as important to always be recruiting. And I think that sales leaders and business owners, they should always be on the hunt for that next um, next top producer, that next top salesperson. So you can do it by first keeping your job posting up and always be interviewing, always be actively interviewing. Second one that is really underutilized is LinkedIn right now. And 
not LinkedIn and a, hey, let's put a job posting up and see what happens, but being very specific and proactive with your recruiting when it comes to LinkedIn. And here's how you can do that. Here's a real quick tip. I've got a lot of my current clients that are currently doing a strategy like this. They're getting a ton of results and a ton of great candidates and hires from it. And basically what I instruct them to do and what they do is every single month, they reach out to 25 or 30 individuals that are either in their market, work for a competitor or work for like competitors, or they're in an industry that would lend itself very well to their current market and industry, right? And so what they do is they reach out to these individuals. And there's an old adage when it comes to software sales. And Elizabeth, maybe you've heard it as well. Um, ask for advice and you'll get money and ask for money and you'll get advice, right? That'll say, mm-hmm. we'll take that same approach when it comes to recruiting. So reach out to these people and instead of hitting them right away with, hey, um, are you ready to leave your current job and take all this risk and come work for a complete stranger, right? That's like the approach most people take. Instead, you should just start forming a conversation and ask their advice on a certain topic, whether it's market strategy or you know sales for 2020 or the current environment of sales whatever it is ask for their advice and form a conversation you know book coffee appointments book breakfast meetings not for the point of hey I'm going to talk to you specifically about this job but to form relationships from it right because life happens right and if your sales top producer you know gives you notice on Friday of this week like what are you going to do about it do you have a stack of resumes of people that you could call that you've been meeting with generating some goodwill you know, nurturing almost as if they were a prospect um, because life happens, right? A spouse takes a job across the country. There's things that are just out of your control. So having that stack of resumes that you can call on is going to be so beneficial for you in 2020 and beyond. Absolutely. I think both of those are are so incredibly important. And that philosophy of a manager having a pipeline of potential Mm -hmm. hires, just like sales has a pipeline of new potential business is a really important concept for sales managers to have. Because like you said, you never know what's going to happen with your team and and you, you'll you need to grow. Sometimes it's, it's very intentional and very planned and you have a lot of lead time, but more yeah. often than not, that's not the case. And so to be able to, you know, if, if the worst were to happen, if, if your top performer were to say, I'm so sorry, you know, family emergency, I have to even Honestly, even yeah. I have to be away for for three months mm-hmm. for you know family medical leave. Could you mm-hmm. could you replace them? And if you couldn't, y- y- think of all of the other people at your business that you might be damaging their potential work. Right? Are you going to have to let off people, um, let go of people on your deter- on your delivery team or your servicing team or or something else? Are you going to have to um, you know potentially slow your expansion plans? You don't want one problem to lead to lots of other problems. And so the only way to really do that is to be able to have a, have a consistent process and a pipeline. And I, I love those, those two specific techniques because that's very doable for anybody. Yeah. And I think the third one, and to kind of dovetail off the third one that I'm thinking about too, is just let people know that you're looking for sales people, right? Mm-hmm. I think that your next sales superstar could go to your kid's school or could be someone in your adult softball league or could be, you know, fill in the blank there. But chances are there's someone that is in your, maybe not your circle of friends or network, but in someone in your network's network that is looking for an opportunity just like yours that could become your next sales superstar. 
And just one other thing to add to that, I see so many businesses that are hesitant to fire, let's say a cancer, right? Someone who is just um, abrasive to the organization as a whole. Mm -hmm. And when I ask them about it, the common response is, well, you know, we can't lose them because they're a second or third performer, right? Or they're in the upper tier of that. But if you had a pipeline of candidates, you know, you could replace that person with confidence, right? You could be in control of your business because at that stage, if you're letting someone who is, um, you know, erosive to the culture that you're trying to build, um, you don't run that business anymore. They are. You're letting other people run your business for you. And so that's why I think it's so vital. And I can't preach it enough to say, just always be recruiting. Absolutely. And even uh, somebody doesn't even have to be that kind of culture bad fit because that that's important. You know, it could be your, yeah. your absolute top performer. And if they're a bad culture fit, they are hurting you more than they're helping you both within your business because other people might leave because of it or, or underperform. But also if they're such a bad culture fit internally, you know, they're not showing up like they should be outside. So a lot yeah. of times people kind of lie to themselves about that, but you could even see, and we've seen this a lot, people have middling to low performers and they don't let them go because they don't think that they could recruit anybody that would replace them. And if somebody is not in a position where they're able to be successful in your organization, it's actually beneficial to them to find a job in a place where they can be successful. Because would you want to show up at work every day knowing that you're kind of not meeting standards and you're not um, you're not going to be successful and you don't have the skills to take you know that it takes? And you know sometimes you can you can grow and learn and get out of that. But a lot of times you're just a bad mm-hmm. fit, and so it's a whole lot better for for that employee to let them you know leave your job with with appropriate notice and done in a very good way, but set them up somewhere where they can be successful. Give them the opportunity. I totally agree. Let them free. Let them, you know, go live their best life somewhere else. Yep. And um, it, it also, it just builds resentment when you have somebody who isn't a good fit and you know, they're not a good fit and they know they're not a good fit. You start to kind of get angry with them and they probably start to get a little angry with you and you have to constantly be having difficult conversations with them. And just imagine that day when you don't have to do that, when, when you can see like an email from them, you know, mm-hmm. at their new job and they're, they're very happy. Maybe they bring you in as, as a vendor yep. or something. Um, and, and you're not, you're not feeling that resentment and that difficulty. So um, excellent, excellent advice for recruiting. Really that, that just constantly always be recruiting, using the different tools that you have, maintaining a pipeline. And especially what you said at the end there, letting people know so often we don't think about um, everybody in mm-hmm. our network that might potentially be a resource. And you just never know who might have uh, you know, a brother, a cousin, uh, a coworker yeah. um, you know, from a previous job, just somebody that they know that would be looking. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. So next step, you have hired. Congratulations, you found a person. Um, but then the next challenge awaits because it's so important to get that person onboarded and really help them to be successful. What would you recommend for our listeners as they're looking, you know, it's still the beginning of the year. Maybe they want to build out a process for onboarding to help them be successful. Yeah. Well, I think first, every good sales organization needs to start with their expectations. I think a misalignment of expectations, especially in the beginning, is what really can be the death nail for a sales organization and more in particular for that candidate, right? Just imagine like on your first day, right? You're super excited, fired up. You tell your spouse, hey, I've got this new job. I'm so 
excited. Here we go. And on day one, right, you come home from work later that day. How'd it go? And the response is like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and, and, and chances are, right, that's a misalignment of the expectations. And so as a sales leader, I think you need to constantly be beating that drum of these are our expectations. This is how it's done around here. And that can only be done through having a very strong sales culture. So having a philosophy on sales, right? This is how we sell around here, right? Maybe you're the Wolf of Wall Street type, um, or maybe it's more of a consultative <laughs> approach. But whatever that culture is, you need to be broadcasting that not only during the interview process, not only during like the uh, the you know signing of the offer letter and things like that, but also in those first critical days of a sales hire, because the people that are going to be successful for you are going to buy into the culture of sales, right? They're going to be attracted like a magnet to the culture, the sales culture and the sales philosophy that you're putting out there for uh, and vice versa, right? the people that are not a good fit are repelled just like, you know, a magnet and whatever metal isn't, uh, you know, it repels a magnet, if you will. My fifth grade science is obviously very lacking. <laughs> so I would start there, right? Like, what do you stand for when it comes to sales? Like, what do you tolerate? Like, what is your sales philosophy? And get really clear on that before you even hire someone. Uh, that's really important. And it even ties to what's the customer experience yeah. that you want to create. Because if you say, okay, our sales culture is that we're very consultative, we're very nurturing. And that comes through in the way we service our clients. We're very careful and we, we spend a lot of time and energy with people. So if you demonstrate that in the hiring process and then the onboarding process and somebody starts and you have very clear documentation and you give them everything they need and you check in with them and they have a mentor, you're demonstrating who you are as a company everywhere from how you sell to how you deliver. And that really comes through. Uh, I wrote an ebook a few years ago about onboarding, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But um, one of the things that we did as part of preparing for that ebook is I asked on LinkedIn people to share their horror stories of onboarding. And oh my goodness, does the culture of an organization come out from people starting and being just kind of brought to a room with a whole batch of new hires and left for hours on end because nobody really knew what to do yeah. with them. So true. That oh, tells you something. Like a big light bulb <laughs> moment. Yeah, like, aha, here's the problem. Yeah, it's like, oh, yep, yeah. maybe I don't want to come back for day two. From, you know, uh, I had somebody say they got a laptop and it was physically dirty and had what looked like jam oh. on it. And like, clearly nobody had taken the time to open it up. Nobody cared enough to clean it if they had opened it up. And, and again, mm -hmm. it tells you something. So that's, that's really important. And just having that culture, if you, even if you don't try to demonstrate the culture, it will be demonstrated. So why don't you make a positive effort to demonstrate the good parts of your culture? Don't lie yes. about it though. <laughs> yes. Like what you say pales in comparison to what you do. Like there's an old phrase of, right? Like I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking so loud. Just that little bit of jam on someone's keyboard is enough to say like, well, this is how this organization does everything because how you do one thing is how you do everything. So I totally agree with them. Absolutely. All right. Anything else when it comes to onboarding and building out onboarding processes? I think that the expectations and the culture, those are those are two really big ones. Yeah, you guys are the experts at that. So I would say check out those. But having really good expectations, having a really clear scorecard, especially in sales, right? Um, I think, you know, that's something that's often overlooked by many organizations is that they lack any sort of sales metrics or any sort of sales scorecard. And sales is one of those great positions where you actually can keep score, right? Like, how do yes. you know if you have a good accountant? 
content. Like, well, I guess they haven't been indicted on fraud. Like, that's a good thing. <laughs> but, right, like, you know, if you've got a good salesperson, like, are they crushing their numbers? You know, are they bringing in revenue? Are they hitting those certain metrics that we're looking for? So having a very clear one of um, having a very clear scorecard. And then I have a four part like meeting protocol that I really like following. And a lot of companies have really um, liked. And that one, it, it helps onboard and helps associate that new sales rep. Uh, and then two, it also really imparts the culture. And it's a simple one. A lot of companies are probably doing some form of it. But it's a real quick one of having a daily stand up. You know, what are the three things you did yesterday? What are the three things you're going to do today? What's a weekly rhythm? So reviewing weekly rhythm happens once every single week, 45 minutes, reviewing the scorecard, working through the issues, doing some training, right? Doing some skills development, which not enough teams and companies are doing. Number three, having a monthly assessment, just having a real quick reflection of, hey, what worked this month? You know, what didn't work? What do we need to start doing? What do we need to stop doing? Then having a quarterly check-in of, you know, what are your goals? What's your why? Why are you still here? You know, good and bad, of course, having those good <laughs> and bad conversations, but really diving into deep, which, um, you know, often a lot of sales leaders and business leaders, they don't get that time to really try to understand um, where their employees want to go from a uh, professional and skills development. We spend all this time trying to journey map and customer journey um, and understand our buyers, right? And create buyer personas. But we're not actually thinking about, well, what is the candidate? What is the employee journey? What is the career map for the people that are responsible for helping grow my sales and grow my my business here? Absolutely. I love that because you kind of transitioned from one topic to the next topic I was going to ask about. It's almost like you're psychic. Oh, look um, at that. <laughs> because one of the things that we notice at Criteria for Success with our clients, and I know that you've seen it as well because we've talked about this before, is that sales problems are often really management problems. Mm. Um, a lot of times, you know, a company is saying, man, consistently I hire salespeople and they don't work out. It's almost like that person who says, man, I've been married seven times and somehow all of my spouses have been terrible. It's like, maybe the problem is you. Maybe the problem <laughs> is you. Yeah, yeah. So what are, what would you say um, in addition to that, that really just simple and basic, but so impactful meeting schedule that you said, um, what are some best practices for sales managers that are looking to raise things? Yeah. So let's start with how, who you're going to hire. So like I mentioned before, right? So many many companies have a buyer profile and they have buyer personas, but do you really know what type of candidate you're looking for? So it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier and really understanding who's a good fit for your organization. So I would say start there, right? If you're figuring out the demographics and the psychographics, uh, the goals, the uh, criteria <laughs> success for your clients, well, you better take some time to worry about that when it comes to your candidates. You know, like what are the demographics, the psychographics, the, um, the goals, the values that your future best salesperson has. What are those? And then start recruiting towards that. So I think that's the first one. Second um, is really using that uh, meeting protocol, right? And following those four steps so that you're, one, you're imparting a lot of tactical knowledge, right? It leads a lot of opportunity for skills improvement, skills development, but then also professional and personal development, right? If you're meeting someone with someone quarterly to really understand and discuss what are their goals? What are their values? Where do they want to go? Where do they want to see themselves? They're going to feel valued, right? They're going to feel like, oh man, my boss, my leader, whoever this person is, like they, I trust that they've got my best interest in mind. They, they, I, 
I trust in them that they know what I want out of the entire situation. So I think those are really two of the big ones that a lot of sales leaders, sales managers, business leaders could adopt right away. Absolutely. Uh, so often people think about when it comes to hiring salespeople, just the numbers, mm-hmm. you know, what have you sold in a previous role? Um, okay. It looks like you could manage a territory of this size and you maybe have some of the right, um, the right people in your network. And that's mm-hmm. important. Certainly, you know, if you sell deals that average, um, you know, $50,000 and you hire somebody who's only ever sold something up to maybe $3,000, that but, might be yes. a challenge. But, but are you getting somebody who's used to just like being very aggressive and, and dialing, you know, constant calls, constant activity, doesn't really have to follow a system, just kind of running gun out there going crazy. Um, and, and they would be the only person like that on your team. And you don't really have a structure to support that. And they would probably drive everybody nuts. Uh, don't set yourself up for failure. Really think about, you know, look at who are your successful salespeople. And it's not about cloning them and not about always getting exactly the same. And sometimes you do want to shake things up, but look at the characteristics that have helped them to be successful. And that's likely mm-hmm. to keep working and to work for, for your future hires. And so, you know, without getting too far into a comfort zone, um, really look at what's ideal because it, it's always going to be, um, it's always going to, going to tell you something. And so often I feel like, um, salespeople, they're good at selling mm-hmm. because they're salespeople yeah. and they can sell themselves into a job that they probably <laughs> shouldn't have. And so as a manager, it's really up to you to, to do that evaluation, to figure out, yes, just because they're, you know, they're, they're positioning themselves well, they're, they're being themselves, they're selling, um, really evaluate, could they be successful mm-hmm. at your organization within the specific role that you're hiring for? Because um, it, that's, that's the most important thing is fit. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. You can't spend enough time, in my personal opinion, I mean, maybe you can spend enough time, but uh, that may be a little bit of exaggeration, but spending so much time with someone up front to really understand, right, can this person work in our organization? It's going to save you so much time on the back end, especially when it comes to the culture and values of the company. Definitely. And, you know, if you've ever made a bad hire, you know exactly (laughs) what we're talking about. Because it is amazing how you could even have somebody who's not on the team for all that long and the ripples of that bad hire can linger for a very long time and and if they do last on the team for a decent amount of time because you know you feel that that sunk cost fallacy and think that you've got to keep them uh, because you you went to the effort of hiring them it that's opportunity cost for you to to find the right person and it's also even more of an impact that they can have in the market around you so um the you know spending time and effort in advance to prepare and to hopefully avoid the problem is more than worth it. When you look at the potential um, impacts of not doing a good job here. And I think you're just hitting on the professional side. I mean, let's talk about the personal side for a moment. Like if you've ever had a bad hire or if you've ever had an employee who you know you've got to get rid of, but yet you put it off. Um, I know a boss who used to say the longest period of anyone's life is the moment you know you have to fire somebody and then the day you do something about it like mm-hmm. that, 
that time leading up is just for me personally it's like it's like the fifth ring of hell almost right like they're uh entering basically the relationship with my family like i'm distracted from that that's what i'm grumbling about or gripey in short with family and friends about so uh yeah i mean a bad hire can really make your life miserable so i think it just all goes back to the point of really understanding what you're talking about before that making the good hire right away absolutely i had a client that when on our first meeting of the engagement when we were doing a kickoff meeting one of the exercises we did was we went through the team and they had about 20 25 salespeople on the team and we had them evaluate just a just a gut sense of where did they think their potential was and we had them it was a very simple kind of a's b's and c's but we we had some definitions that we had all agreed to and we asked them about each of those people that were on the C players or even people that they said, man, I wouldn't even make them a C. We said, okay, so why are they still here? And every single time what they said was, you know, if I summarized it down, cause it was always a long story, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, we think they probably could be successful and we don't think we've done enough to help them be successful and it's on us. So we're not comfortable letting them go until we've done everything, which, okay, that's fine. But guess what? We worked with this client for a number of years and about a year after we started, almost all of those people were gone. And most of them had stayed on a lot longer than they Mm. should have. And Mm. it's hard as a leader to feel like you failed somebody by not helping them be successful. And I completely understand that I've, I've been in that position and it's, you know, it's not fun for anybody, Mm -hmm. but again, let them have more tenure at their next job. Yes. (laughs) You know, give them a chance to start up somewhere else. And it's just, it's just so incredibly important. It can be such a, such a big impact that the weight that you will feel off your shoulders Mm -hmm. that first day that, that you've got somebody new in the role. It's, it's just remarkable. Yeah. First, um, I mean, first day, first couple of minutes I've had, you know, and (laughs) I've made all the mistakes when it comes to hiring and letting people go. And I totally, totally resonate with this. And, um, it's just, it's so, so important because it can really make your life, um, so unpleasant and it's unpleasant on both sides right? No one wants to be going to a job or a career where it feels like, well, is today my last day? Is this going to be it? Like no one wants that, right? That's not a good, healthy situation for anybody. So you're exactly right, right? Like go have longer tenure somewhere else. (laughs) And some things, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. And, you know, I I don't know that we had planned on this being such a key topic today, but I think it's all part of Mm. raising your standards. Because if you raise your standards as an organization about what are the expectations that we have for people on the team that is going to force you to make some changes on your team. And so you'll need to have a plan for hiring and for onboarding and for managing people moving forward. But it's all within the context of raised standards and raised expectations. And to say, you know what, we know that this is what it's going to take for us to be successful. We've got to have salespeople who are capable of these things. Um, it, it, it's going to force you to make some decisions. And to, as a manager, to be prepared for that is really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Way to tie that all into Elizabeth. That was incredible. Way to way to bring that back to the end. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> that just kind of came to me, but it, it, it all is of a piece. All right. Well, we are big readers here at Criteria for Success. Um, and by the way, I would highly recommend listeners check out Mark's book. It is excellent. It's again called Raise Your Standards, The Definitive Guide to Building Seven Figure Sales. It's very readable and um, very tactical. You'll get a lot of a lot of good advice. But what are some other books that you would recommend to our listeners? 
Oh man, I have so many. If you want to turn this into like a four-hour uh, Joe Rogan style <laughs> podcast, here we go. Uh, I'm a big reader as well, and so I'll just let me focus on the five books that I really loved in 2019. So I'll, I'll kick those off. Um, I am a huge. Um, lover of stoicism and that philosophy. And so I've got two that kind of fit into that category. The first is The Art of Living by Epictetus. If no one, if, if you haven't heard of it, basically it's a 2000 year old advice that is so relevant to today. It's like as if this individual wrote it, you know, just a few short years ago. Uh, and then the other one is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And I think both of those are perfect for sales, right? Because there's going to be rejection. You're going to have issues. You're going to have unhappy clients unhappy prospects, unhappy employees. And this is a great guidebook to have everybody realize that, you know, the world does not start and stop at your convenience. Things happen that aren't good, that are negative, and you just deal with it, right? And you just move on. Um, so those are those are two. Um, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell has been a really good one. Have you, have, are you a Malcolm Gladwell fan at all, Elizabeth? I am. I love his podcast, Revisionist oh, History. Uh, that's one of my favorites. And I, I'm familiar with his writing. I haven't read the latest book yet. That is on my list of um, way too many books I need to read, but I've heard really good things. <laughs> well, hopefully that uh, Christmas break up in Michigan. Well, uh, for listeners now, I think this comes out in January. So uh, hopefully over Christmas break, you get a little bit of time uh, to do that. Uh, whenever I hear Malcolm Gladwell's voice, I'm always like, ooh, listen close, because this is going to be good. Yeah. His, his last one is no exception. It's not exactly a sales book, but it will get you to think. It's called Talking to Strangers, and it will get you to think about your interactions with people. Um, and that's all I'll say. That's the only teaser I'll give to it. Um, and then... Yeah, and sales is all interacting with people. So it's definitely, it's not a sales book, but um, if you don't think of Talking to Strangers as being related to sales, you might be struggling with sales. <laughs> Funny how that goes, right? Um, and then the last one, it's actually two. It's kind of like my own operating system, um, and it's from a business coach that I really, really like, really, really respect. Uh, his name is Craig Ballantyne. He's from Toronto, Canada. Uh, and it's called The Perfect Week Formula and The Perfect Day Formula. And before I had those books, it was really, I was like a, a whirling dervish, if you will. I was running around trying to do all the things for all the people, um, had very few barriers in my life. But once I was exposed to Craig's books and his formulas, it really became crystal clear of how can I accomplish um, you know, my highest task, my highest calling. And that has really been a great operating system uh, for me and uh, hopefully for your listeners as well. Sounds like it. I haven't read those, so I will have to check those out. And they go on the never-ending list of books to read. <laughs> and the pile keeps growing. But of all the things, that's not the worst thing, right? Definitely not, I'll have to say. So yeah, we're recording this before um, before we both head out for the holidays. And I, I, from the time I was a kid, I've always been a big reader. I actually mm -hmm. started kindergarten early because my parents realized I had taught myself to read. No way. And so they, they started me, they put me in kindergarten when I was four. And um, the, I used used to ask for books for Christmas. And that was just my number one gift. And they would give me a pile of like 11 books. And these were just like young adult novels when I was a kid. And I would stay up all night on Christmas night so I could read all my books before the next oh morning. My so um, hopefully I'll get some reading in over the break. Although I will be staying in a house with six nieces and nephews. And then I will have, let's see, two, six more nieces and nephews who are visiting. Oh my gosh. So I, it's not exactly quiet reading time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think much reading is going to be at what, uh, Elizabeth, what's your kind of favorite books of 2019, if I can put you on the spot? I have been reading a lot more books about kind of um, politics mm. and the environment and
and other things like that. So it's not um, it's not a happy book, but the uninhabitable earth was really impactful wow. to me. And um, I, I thought I read it on vacation okay. on the beach, which is not. <laughs> Something I would recommend. Uh, don't read it on the beach in Mexico, but uh, just just huge uh, in terms of impact. And then recent, and that I'm forgetting the guy who wrote it, but I will include that in the show notes. He's uh, he's an author for the New Yorker. And then um, say nothing, which is about the troubles in um, in Ireland, and the it's about a specific case, but it's really about the political climate during that time and what was happening. And that just was so powerful. And that's by Patrick Radham Keith. And then by Rachel Maddow. She wrote a book called Blowout, and it's about the oil spill in um, in the Caribbean a few years ago. But it's also about just the way the energy mm-hmm. industry works and uh, how it impacts the political system. So um, I'm I'm I've been reading a lot of nonfiction lately, and so those are those are my three big books for the last year uh, that I've very much enjoyed. I don't know if you've read any of those. Oh no, those sound really good. I'm putting them in my Amazon cart as we speak, and um, I uh, studied abroad in Ireland for six months, so that's near and dear to my heart. Um, so yeah, I'll definitely be checking those out. Those are great recommendations. Thank you. Definitely, there's just way too many books out there today. But fortunately, mm-hmm. living in New York, um, I have the ability to read during my commute every day, uh, and so. Um, um, it's so funny to me how you see um, so many people reading on the train and sometimes people are reading against stereotype of you see somebody and they look like this kind of just like young kid and maybe like dressed in athletic clothes and other stuff like that. And then you'll see them reading like a hardcover <laughs> book. And I just find it's so um, it's so fun to see all the different reading that people are doing. That is pretty awesome. I love that. All right. Well, um, Mark, this has been such a fun conversation. I very much enjoyed it. I'm sure our listeners will as well. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Yeah, the best place to follow me and learn more about me is markpatrickevans.com. That's me. Um, And that's where every single week I write an article and have a big resources section with some of my best content. And you can learn more about the book there. Um, And that funnels into all my consulting stuff and everything. So yeah, so that's the best place. And that's www.markpatrickevans.com. Nice. Well, we will include a link to that in the show notes. So um, thanks again, Mark. It has been wonderful to have you. Oh, Elizabeth, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 220. Be sure to tune in this Friday for another inspirational episode where our sales uh, executive, Joe Banda, will be sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics, questions that you want us to address, guests that we should speak to, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening today. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. That'll help more people find the show, and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!